So if you've been here at all over the last couple months, and I can see looking out here that many of you have, I also see some new faces too, which is great. Uh, welcome, thank you for, for coming, we're so glad you're here. Um, but yeah, if you've been here over the past couple months, you know that we've been doing a series called Moments, which is inspired by the video we've been playing at the start of every service. Is, uh, does this sound echoey to you guys? Yeah. Check, check. Check, check. Check. <laughs> um, that's a little better. Maybe? No? Okay, um, let's see. Is it still kind of echoey? You can bring it down some, Dan. A little bit. How's that? Is that better? Or does it still sound annoying? Give me a thumbs up if it sounds okay. Okay, all right, cool. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, if you've been here, you know we've been doing this series called Moments, which is inspired by that video that plays at the start of every service. And that video is meant to be a dramatic representation of several people as they're moving closer to God, or true north, as we call him in that video. And we've been focusing week to week on certain moments that happen along that journey, like uh, the moment of the dark night of the soul, or the moment of hope, or the moment of choice. Tonight, the moment we're talking about isn't so much an individual moment as it is a series of moments that occurs after that big moment of choice that Pastor Frank talked about last week. Uh, last week, if you were here, you might remember he talked about that moment that many of us have experienced where we decide to give our lives to God, where we decide to surrender to him. That's, that's a very momentous moment. And tonight, what we're talking about is the moment after that moment, which we're calling the moment of direction. The moment of direction. Now, I'd say the moment of direction is best represented in that video by that moment where the guy starts running and he starts unzipping his jacket. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Remember that moment? Um, in that moment, I see someone who's been through a lot, but now he's deciding to abandon all else and pursue true north wholeheartedly. So he's made his decision, and now he's on his way. And you can see from the look on his face that he has this sense of freedom and joy in that moment because he's found his direction, and he's moving in that direction. And so the moment of direction is the moment when your commitment to Christ takes shape in a specific way. Uh, we might call it the moment of discovered calling. Uh, it's the moment when you realize what God wants you to do, and you go for it. The moment when... Metaphorically speaking, you take off the jacket and you roll up your sleeves and you go into action. And uh, it's a great moment. It's a moment that's filled with a sense of purpose and fulfillment. It's a moment where we feel fully alive and in God's will. Now, I'd say there's one word that summarizes the opposite of this moment, this moment of direction. And that word is stuck. Stuck. I don't have any official stats to offer you here, but over the years, I know I've heard a lot of Christians describe the way they feel about their lives in that way. I feel stuck. In fact, to be completely transparent with you guys, several years ago, I was feeling kind of stuck. And I, I went to this church where they have people who will pray over you, and um, 
after the service, my friend said, oh, do you want to go have, have them pray for you? And so I went there, and one of them went over to me, and she just, she just kind of bowed her head and said, I'm just going to ask the Lord if he has anything that he wants me to pray for you specifically. And she said, I just sense that you, you really feel stuck. And it was just that one word came out of her mouth, and I was just like, Ugh. I just fell apart because it, it was just she was speaking directly to me. And there, was, there was such power in that word because I knew that I felt stuck at that point in my life. A lot of us feel like we're trapped in patterns of thinking or living that aren't moving us closer toward Christ and aren't producing anything of lasting value. Patterns of thinking and living that don't fill us with a sense of purpose, uh, patterns of thinking and living that don't lead to a sense of freedom and joy, but to a feeling of burden or despair. And these feelings of stuckness can be especially strong for those of us who want to follow Christ. Uh, because we have a sense deep inside that we're supposed to be living with purpose and passion and contributing something of eternal value in the world, right? And so when we're not doing that, we feel like something's off and we feel that deep in our spirits. Uh, we feel like there's this gulf between how things are supposed to be and how things actually are. And we don't know how to get to the other side of that gulf. And so we feel stuck and it bothers us. I would call that a holy restlessness. And that restlessness is really a good thing. It's in us because God does want us to live with purpose and passion. And we are all meant to contribute something of eternal value in this drama of life. Jesus said to his disciples, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So in other words, I've called you I've equipped you to do work that will have an, an eternal impact. Right? You're meant to do something of great significance, something that will never be forgotten. Jesus said those words to his first disciples, and he says them to all of us who want to be his disciples today. Your life is meant to produce something of deep and lasting value, fruit that will last. So that's what God intends for us, to bear fruit that will last. But often we get stuck. And when we're stuck, we find ourselves waiting for that moment of direction, that moment will, that will launch us forward into this abundant life that Jesus talked about, where we're, where we're doing what God wants us to do, and we're creating fruit that will last as we do it. But sometimes that moment just seems to elude us. And so we wait, and we feel stuck. And we wait, and we still feel stuck. So why do we get stuck? Well, Jesus told a parable once that helps to answer that question. And you can find it in Mark 4, starting in verse 3. And hopefully, yep, this will go up on the verse behind me. Mark 4, starting in verse 3, Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. 
Now, lest we think that Jesus is just giving an agriculture lesson here, in verse 14, he explains to his disciples what this means. He says, the farmer sows the word. So Jesus is using an an analogy here to describe the different ways that people respond to him and his message. He says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So in this parable, Jesus is saying that many of us do get stuck. We're meant to produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown in us, but there are things that prevent that from happening. So for any of us who feel stuck tonight, I want to suggest that what Jesus has to say about that third kind of soil is something that we need to think about tonight, something that we need to consider. The third kind of soil represents those of us who have received Christ, but something keeps us from being productive. Something keeps us from bearing lasting fruit. And Jesus says that there are three things that are like thorns that choke what God wants to grow. And those are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. So let's talk about that that first threat, the worries of this life. A worry of this life is a care or concern that has no bearing on the life to come, something that has no significance at all in the grand scheme of things, like what color you're going to paint your kitchen, or what car you're going to drive, or what shoes you're going to wear. Now, these kinds of cares and concerns, it's not like they're evil. They're a part of life. Um, but they become dangerous when they take up the majority of our time. Because when that happens, we stop producing fruit that will last, and we get stuck. One way, I think, to get an idea of how preoccupied we are with the worries of this life is to ask ourselves, how much of my time and my mental and physical energy revolves around things? Not people, but things. Things are temporary, but human souls endure beyond this present life, right? So if we want to live lives that bear lasting fruit, our lives have to be more about people than they are about things. A life that is primarily about things looks something like this. You get up in the morning, why? So you can go to work. Why do you go to work? So that you can make money. Why make money? So you can buy things. So you go to work, you make some money, And then on your your way home, you stop somewhere and you buy some things. And you bring those things home to your other things. And maybe you eat some of the things you bought. 
and you entertain yourself with some of your things, you clean some things, you think about some things you want, you worry about bad things happening to the things that you already have, you try to fix some things that broke, you say a prayer thanking God for your things, you ask him to protect your things, you go to bed, repeat. Now, there's nothing wrong with having things, and there's certainly nothing wrong with taking care of the things you have. It's good to do. But when things become central in our lives, the worries of this life control us. And when that happens, the seed that God has planted gets choked. And we end up feeling stuck. Then there's the second threat, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Now you might say, well, I don't really need to worry about this one. You know, I'm not George Clooney or Taylor Swift or Donald Trump. Uh, Those people are wealthy. I'm not wealthy. But the reality is, in comparison to the world at large, most of us probably are wealthy. I don't want to make light of anyone here who might be having financial troubles, um, but it is the truth that most of us here really are, relatively speaking, very wealthy. According to Oliver James's book, Affluenza, this, this is crazy, uh, Americans spend more money annually on trash bags than nearly half of the world does on all its goods. So, in this country, we spend more money on bags to throw our stuff away than nearly half the rest of the world spends on all their actual stuff combined. Uh, Here's some other stats to think about. These were compiled in a book called Jesus Wants to Save Christians by Rob Bell. One billion people in the world do not have access to clean water, but the average American uses 400 to 600 liters of water a day. Here's another. 3.5 billion people in the world, that's about half of the entire world, lives on less than two American dollars a day. So that's less than 14 American dollars a week. In comparison, the average American teenager spends about $150 a week. 1.6 billion people in the world don't have electricity. So that's one in every five people. So if you have electricity, you're blessed in a way that 20% of the world isn't, to be able to turn on lights when it gets dark out. The vast majority of people in the world do not own a car, but one-third of American families have at least three cars. So this is a really wealthy nation. And not only are we we incredibly wealthy relative to the world at large, we're also incredibly wealthy relative to the people who have lived throughout history. I mean, when you think about the luxuries that we take for granted these days, we live better than royalty did in the past, right? Right? Uh, We've got indoor plumbing, heat, air conditioning, medicine, running water. We've got access to more information and products and entertainment than any culture in history. Today, if we want to hear a song, you just put it on your phone, right? And then you listen to it wherever you want to. But throughout most of history, if you wanted to hear a song, you needed to have an actual live musician show up with the instrument and play it. You needed some, you know, troubadour... (laughs) to come and and serenade you. And now you just put in some earbuds and listen to, you know, way more songs than probably the average person ever would have heard in their lifetime in one day. So you get the idea. Compared to the world today and the world in the past, most of us are very wealthy. 
Now, I'm not saying this to make us feel guilty. You know, I actually think a more appropriate response is gratitude, not guilt. But I am saying these things as a warning, because if wealth is deceitful, as Jesus says, then most of us really are the kind of people who need to be mindful of that, right? Wealth has the power to choke the seed that's been planted in us. It has the power to make us stuck in ways of living that don't bear lasting fruit. The reality of this hit me a couple weekends ago. I was washing my car by hand, and I don't usually do that. I, I drove the same car, this old beat-up minivan, for 12 years, and last summer it died, so I got a new car. And now I want this car to last forever. So I was washing it by hand. And uh, nothing wrong with washing a car by hand. It's a good thing to do. But as I was washing it, and it was taking quite a few hours, because my brother was explaining to me how you, you, know, you rinse it off, and then you, you actually soap it, and then you clay it, and then you wax it, and all this stuff. I was thinking, boy, this takes a long time. And it hit me. You know, when you have things, when you have wealth, it takes time and energy to take care of it and to preserve it. You know, the more cars you have, the more maintenance you have to do. The more house you have, the more you have to vacuum and and dust and that sort of thing. The more clothes you have, the more laundry you have to do. And if we're not careful, when we have wealth, that wealth just overwhelms all of our time and our energy. And when it does, we think we're being productive, but we're really not. And so we end up stuck in a pattern where we're not bearing fruit that will last. And then finally, there's the third threat, the desire for other things. I bet all of us can identify with this one. Most of us would probably say, of course I desire God and the growth of his kingdom here on earth. Of course I want to multiply what God has already done in me. But... That's not all I want. You know, I also want to be successful by the world's standards. I also want to have a nice house. I also want to be respected and valued by those around me. I also want a month's worth of paid vacation. I also want to make a name for myself. And what Jesus is saying is that so often these other desires overwhelm the desire that is supposed to be central in our lives, which is the desire to know Jesus and to make him known produce fruit that will last. And when that happens, what God has planted in us gets choked, and we get stuck. So what do we do? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, it's all dangerous. It has the potential to choke what God has planted in us, so what can we do? Well, one thing is we just need to be aware I know that's simple, but it's true. I think that's partly why Jesus explained this parable. You know, he wanted the disciples to be aware and on guard against those traps. Knowing the traps helps to keep us from falling into them. So, be mindful. You know, reflect on these things. Reflect on Jesus' words. Think about, okay, are these things getting in the way of me producing true fruit that will last? Am I thinking more about things than about people and, and God? But there's one last thing I want to I wanna emphasize as I'm closing here. I think what we need to do is realize the enormous potential 
that exists in us. You know, remember, Jesus says that for some people, the seed that was sown does not get choked, right? For some people, it grows and it produces a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. 30, 60, or 100 times. That's a lot. Notice he jumps right to 30 times what was sown. You know, two times what was sown would seem, you know, that's pretty substantial. But he skips right over two times. He skips over 10 times. He just goes straight to 30 times. So what we need to realize is that God's word working in us has this incredible potential. Incredible potential. You know, yeah, there are thorns, and they get in the, in the way. They're a threat, but that potential is still there. And we are not powerless against those thorns. You know, if you walk out of here and you forget everything that I've said tonight, just remember that. Think, in the context of the parable of the sower, we are not powerless against those thorns. Not because we ourselves are powerful. We're not. But because God has planted his word in us, and his word is powerful. So don't sell yourselves short. Don't assume that the thorns are more powerful than the seed that God has planted in you. Don't be bossed around by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. Instead, try to focus your, your thoughts, your mind, your hope on this amazing potential that is expressed in that parable, that God has implanted in you something that has the potential to become 30, 60, 100 times what it was originally. That potential is there, it's real, and even though there are thorns, we are not powerless through Christ. So God wants to use you and he wants to use me to bless the world, to love his people, and to do things that make a difference forever, for eternity, fruit that will last. He's equipped us, he's appointed us to bear fruit that will last, and in his strength we can do that. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that if we're feeling stuck, we don't have to feel stuck forever. And Lord, I know that there's a lot of reasons um, that we can feel stuck. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to do with these three things that you talked about in this parable. But if it does, God, I pray that you would show that to us. I pray that you would help us to be able to see it. And I pray, Lord, that as, as in your strength we remove these thorns from our life and, and move past them, that we would sense incredible freedom, Lord, that we would experience that moment of direction where we really feel like we are following your will, where we are doing what you called us to do, and we are making a lasting impact. I pray, God, that you would free us from feelings of being stuck. And I thank you, Lord, that even when we fail, um, even when those thorns get the better of us sometimes, that there's grace. So we thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would uh, you'd prepare our hearts now for this celebration of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.